But today we are going to continue in our series uh, looking at the book of Ephesians. The screen gives it away. I hope you picked that up. Um, we started a couple of weeks ago, remember, looking at the history of the church in Ephesus that started uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 19 and 20. Looked at that, how Ephesus was the uh, this really important port city. Uh, I think it was potentially the fifth biggest city in the known world, potentially the fourth uh, largest in the Roman Empire. So it's a very important city. How uh, we looked at how this city was full of idolatry. I'm sure you all remember it. It was a very memorable sermon. Um, people started becoming Christians in this atmosphere of idolatry. Mm. There was uproar in the city. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter uh, to the Ephesians, has spent two years explaining and persuading to the people of the city. Um, so much so, and so many people started to get saved that it affected the local economy. Mm. And all of these um, craftsmen that were making their little idols of Diana, of Artemis, were losing trade. Yeah. And then we looked at it in chapter 1, the first two verses, about how this Christian life is about more than just you and your salvation. That you are brought into a kingdom with a king that you can know. Mm. That we've received God's grace, a gift that we do not deserve, how we have it and how we should let this affect us, how uh, we should live in our lives in relation to others, yeah. how we live and treat our families. There should be a quickening in our spirits to tell other people about this. Yeah. And then last week, Adam looked again still at um, verse 3 to 14, this one long sentence of truth and blessing. And how uh, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been adopted. We've had our sins forgiven. We've been chosen in him through the mystery of his will. There's an inheritance. We're holy and blameless. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. He, he talked about how all good things came from God. Yeah. Even for bad people. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah. He told us, though, how these promises, though, are just for believers. This was part of God's plan, his purpose in the counsel of his will, which he foreshows, which he predestined. Yeah. How God held this great eternal counsel, how the Trinity yeah. foresaw the fall of man and made a covenant to forgive. And how all these amazing promises were planned by the Father, activated by the Son and sealed to every believer by the Spirit. Yeah. See, I really was taking notes. I listened last week. And how we respond to this news is a sign of our maturity yeah. in Christ. That God is looking for a heart response more than just head knowledge. Yeah. And that when Paul was so excited by this, he responds in worship to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. Praise and this week we're going to continue looking at this very long sentence of Paul's. We need to examine this, so much in this 3 to 14, and not move on. There's still quite a bit to cover as we look at this kind of torrent of praise from Paul. Yeah. Have you ever been so full of praise it was overflowing? I don't know if you maybe speak in tongues or sing in tongues. Sometimes it just comes and comes and it's flowing and flowing. And this is what we're seeing from Paul. Yeah. 
this torrent, it's like pouring, gushing out with praise. This is the longest sentence in the whole Bible. In the ESV, the English Standard Version, God's favourite version, it's 258 <laughs> words. And as we read it again, see if you can pick up the things in this joyful sentence, possibly the most joyful sentence ever written. I've not read every sentence, but I think this is up there, <laughs> at least in the top five. <laughs> Yeah. And as you read it, you'll see there's something mentioned around ten times, something mentioned around seven times, and something three times. Yeah. So we're going to read it. And again, as we read, this is the Word of God. God is speaking to us. We always want you know, a prophetic word of God to speak to us. Well, right now, God is speaking to us as we read this. Yeah. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit will fall on us and give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah. So let's read from verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned in the first week, what is amazing about this joy-filled sentence that it was written while Paul was in chains. He's in prison whilst writing this amazing praise-filled sentence. And what is, this is helpful for us to recognise and understand that Paul's joy and praise in this repeating pattern about ten times in him. This is important for us to understand being in him. Note how these expressions dominate. God's purpose and election take place in Christ. God's grace and redemption are found in Christ, 6 to 7. All things in heaven and earth are summed up in Christ, verse 10. People hope in Christ, hear the word in Christ, and by faith are sealed in Christ. It's repeated 10 times, and this expression and other similar expressions appear 39 times throughout the book of Ephesians. So, from verse 3, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, we're not 
blessed just through Christ as a mechanism for getting blessed, but personally in Christ, to whom we are united by faith, this is helpful to learn and understand about being in Christ, because we could speak about faith or our faith, but actually we need to speak about a person. Otherwise we talk about faith like it's this kind of mysterious kind of thing that helps us along in life. No, we're walking along in life with the person of Jesus. And these blessings, as Adam said last week, are for those who have put their trust in Jesus. They're for the family. For those adopted into the family. Isn't it great to hear Jackie wanting to foster yeah. That's the church in action. Come on. Loving the orphans and the widows. Yeah. Come on. So we don't just have faith, no, we have faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Yeah. But just take my word for it. What did Jesus cry out in his last breath on the cross? It is finished. Paul is in chains. He's declaring the blessings that are his and ours in Christ at all times. This uh, matters as it's not dependent on your circumstances. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're feeling low. It doesn't matter if you're in pain or if you're suffering or if you're lonely or feeling adrift. Yeah. I wonder, what are you living for right now? In life, what are you living for? And I wonder if it would still satisfy you if you were sitting in a Turkish cell and we lost everything. Paul here is sitting in the cell and he says he is blessed. He's blessed in prison. And you might look at others and think, well, they're more blessed than you. But we're all blessed in Christ. And part of the problem today is that we're confused by this kind of picture-perfect social media pictures that people put up. You know those perfect-looking pictures of families and couples, and they put hashtag blessed. I don't know if you know, there was an online study in 2019 about what was the most annoying hashtag, and hashtag blessed was the most annoying. But that's the problem, we're confused by this perfect picture of families looking wonderful, couples on holidays, we think, oh, that's blessed. That's what we think it is. If everything's perfect, if we're happy, nothing's going wrong, we think we are blessed. Now, this is a picture of me and my family. And we, we look like a happy bunch there, don't we? We could be hashtag blessed, couldn't we? <laughs> right there with that picture. But let me tell you, it's not always like that. Because <laughs> probably right before this picture, we were probably arguing, we were probably telling the kids off, they were complaining about us making them walk. Definitely, that's confirmation from my wife, an education expert, <laughs> that we were not, we don't always, but we'll look at that and we could go, oh yeah, that's blessed. That's, that's hashtag blessed. No, that's not what it means. I'll just take off those beautiful faces, otherwise we'll be distracted. <clears throat> but that's what we think blessed is. If we have a nice time, 
We did have a nice time that day, but there is a different, more real type of blessing. Yeah. And verse 3 tells us the blessings we have are because we are in Christ. Yes. We've been freely given, nothing deserving, nothing you can do to earn it. It is done. Yeah. And this relationship, this union with God, doesn't begin with a do, do, do. It begins with a big fact, done. Yeah. It is done. So what is true of him is true of you. Even if you're in jail, even if you're lonely, even if you're suffering, if you're in pain, you are in him. And all the blessings that follow, redemption, adoption, unity, inheritance, forgiveness, you're chosen, you're holy and blameless. Recently, we um, went away, we were on holiday, and because of a generous relative, who is a platinum member of a hotel chain, we got to stay in a really nice hotel. And I'll be honest, I'm from fairly humble beginnings. I'm not used to this kind of treatment. I'm not used to this VIP check-in. The room next to the pool, the apartment that's so big, it's the same floor space as my house. But you know what, I'll be honest. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, you're a platinum member guest. You should have the best room. There was me arguing at check-in. No, I think it's better over there. They're saying, no, no, sir, you really should be staying in this side. No, no, but I like it over there. No, no, sir, you should. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, no, they were right. <laughs> this is nice. And I'll be honest, it was very difficult not to be extremely smug. I'm trying to explain to my children, this is not normal. This is not how normal people go on holiday. Don't get used to it. Because we remember, actually, we're getting and receiving these blessings because we have someone in high places. Yes, yeah. They're platinum members. And because these generous relatives have booked and asked for this, we are bound up in them. Yes, yeah. The privileges that have been reserved for them are now being given to us. And we're being treated as if we are platinum members. I'm a roofer from Lockfield. I'm not a platinum member, but now I'm being treated as a platinum member. And the privileges that have been reserved for them have been given to us. We benefit through someone else. This is how grace works. Yeah. We have a friend in high places and we get integrated into his identity. Therefore, what is true of him becomes true of us. Yeah. These blessings are ours because he's the platinum member. Yeah. And he has given us all of the privileges. We are invited in at the very beginning to sit and enjoy what God has done for us. And if you're striving through in your walk with Jesus, then he's inviting you to stop, to sit, because you're in him already. He's already done it. Not trying to attain it for ourselves. And if you know the rest of this book of Ephesians, You know, we're saved not by works, but by grace, through faith. 
And we, lay, we do nothing to achieve this salvation. We simply put, as Watchman Nee <clears throat> simply puts it, we lay upon him the burden of our sin-sick souls. Watchman Nee, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was a, a Chinese missionary uh, in around the 1930s, a, a really helpful little book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's about six quid, you can get it online. Really helpful. In it, he quotes, this is a quote from the book, he says, we begin our Christian life by depending not upon our own doing, but upon what he had done. Until a man does this, he is no Christian. To say I could do nothing to save myself, but by his grace, God has done everything for me in Christ, is to take the first step in the life of faith. The Christian life from start to finish is based upon the principle of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we are with Christ, crucified, quickened, raised, and set in the heavenlies. We must receive what he has done. And union with him begins with his death. And God has included us in him, and therefore we were with him. 1 Corinthians um, 1 verse 30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 says, Now it is God who makes, us, makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. You're seeing the themes here, in Christ, and what that means. Now, I just want to give you another little example. Now, this, this little note here, it's actually my business card. Oh. Um, so this is me, and I'm putting it into this book. Now suddenly now, what becomes of this book what is what becomes of the note. If I was to set light to this thing, and it would become ashes. What becomes, I won't actually set it up because Nigel's done a fire uh, safety thing and he'll, but if it were to become ashes, the note would become of actually, it's actually not very <laughs> But that was because I was thinking about the yeah, fire yeah, safety. Good, good man, good. But if this were to become ashes, the note becomes ashes. If I were to dunk it, see, I like water here, so if it did actually catch on flame, in flames, we would have. Now, what is, as it is soaked into that water, what becomes of me, what becomes of that book, becomes of me. Where one goes, the other goes with it. The history has become one. Yes. But just as effectively, God has put us in Christ, and what happened to him happened to us also. With all the experiences he met, we too have met in him. Our old self crucified with him, but the body of sin might be done away so that we should no longer be in bondage to sin, Romans 6. Yeah. Moving on. <clears throat> he has also blessed us in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Well, firstly, it relates to more than just waiting for heaven. doesn't refer to just a physical location, but a spiritual reality of God's world. It's saying that this world is not the only reality 
there's a larger reality that exists, and that is where Christ is already exalted as Lord. Where we as believers participate in his history, and where spiritual forces are opposed. And as Christians, we are spiritual beings. And when Paul talks here about spiritual blessings, it goes beyond the here and now. We as Christians are spiritual people. Everyone has a spiritual thirst, whether they realise it or not. So as spiritual beings, we can discern things in contrast to the natural world. And we can know and want what the Spirit of God wants. That's why we shouldn't be attached to things like Halloween. Because it's full of dark, demonic forces. Oh, it's just harmless fun. Oh, it's just dress up. No, we're spiritual beings, and actually there should be something inside us that knows that that's not of God. If you were walking with Jesus right beside you, would you be bringing your kids into that sort of thing? Would you be involved in that? No, you probably wouldn't. You need to feed your soul. Be filled and changed by the Spirit. Because at the end of the day, your spiritual self is the only thing that's going to last into your resurrected body. We need to store up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 20 to 21 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Yeah. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So putting your hope in earthly things is a waste. Even family, career, your looks, your strength will leave you. It's like trying to put, put everything you've got into this life now. It's like selling everything you have, all your possessions, for a weekend camping. Imagine you're going to New Day and you sell everything you have so you can have a really good week at New Day. Well, it's over in a week. No way. And then you're left with nothing. Your physical body is wasting away and is fit for this age only. And as you get older, you realise that more and more. Actually, if you're over the age of 26, your body is starting to decay. I hate to break that to you. And you're dying. But there is good news because we have an eternal hope. Yeah. I hate to break that to you. When you're 45, you really realise it. Um, but you will have a resurrected body in the new heaven and the new earth. And this is good news. Yeah. You know, people are looking for spiritual blessings everywhere. I worked on somebody's house once. I used to work in construction and uh, was working on someone's house and just got chatting to them because they had a little Buddha model thing at their front door. So I asked them about it. I said, what's that about? And they said, well... Uh, this is when we lived in Suffolk. They said, well, every time I need a bit of luck, I rub Baal Buddha's head, they said, <laughs> as they were walking around on a crutch. I said, oh, how's that working out for you? <laughs> but verse 4 to 5, let me just look at those faces. Um, <clears throat> It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy 
and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. (laughs) Notice he chose us in him. This is not because of where you were born or because of the family you were born into or because you're a really moral person. Your salvation is because he chose you. This often much debated doctrine, pre-election or predestination, God deciding beforehand who will be saved, can confuse, can, people can find difficult, but I think sometimes I just have to think that I have a finite mind. I cannot fully understand the mind of God. And it might be helpful to think of it like this, is a description I read Uh, this week. It says, as we struggle to get our mind around God's sovereign electing grace, it's helpful to think of becoming a Christian as being like walking through a narrow door. On the front door is painted the words of Jesus' gracious universal invitation, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And as we walk through the door, we turn around and look back at it from the inside and we read the comforting reassurance of his sovereign election in love. He predestined us for adoption. This is the Father who is pardoning our sins, providing our daily needs, showing us the way in which we should go and showering us with undeserved kindness. I have three children, as you've seen, and I am not the perfect father. Sometimes I'm tired, or actually a lot of the time I'm tired. I'm forgetful. I can be grumpy or uninterested. But this Heavenly Father is always attentive to our prayers. He's never sleepy or forgetful. He's never grumpy or uninterested. He's never powerless to help or unsure what to do. This is the Father who has chosen you for adoption. And you are gathered into the global people of Christ under the headship of Christ. We are one new man together. You will receive a glorious inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade in this eternal kingdom. This is why Paul describes all Christian men and women as sons. In the Old Testament, they would refer to the... The firstborn sons of Israel who would inherit the land. And because God is teaching us about our faith, we get to share in this glorious inheritance of his son who would inherit everything. So by faith in God's son, men and women alike are adopted by the father to share in Jesus' inheritance. We've been brought into his family. It's the highest honour. It's not just about having your sins, you know, rubbed out. It's receiving the embrace of the loving eternal Father. But I wonder how much of this has really affected us. I mean, deep, deep down, how has this really affected us? You see, Jesus is at the door. He's reminding us about these privileges. We're in him. 
We keep walking back into the darkness and he keeps coming back in and pulling us back out into the light. I don't know about you, but it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? You go into the week, you're surrounded by people that believe lots of different things. You know, as I said, I used to work in the construction industry for over 20 years. And when I got saved and when I got baptised in the Holy Spirit, there was things in my spirit that I suddenly started to feel uncomfortable about at work. I'm surrounded by, you know, it's quite a a, a harsh environment. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, robust, so I I can cope. but it was, there were things in there that suddenly my spirit was going, no, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to be a part of those conversations. I don't want to take things that don't belong to me anymore. Yeah. And it does you good, though, to remind yourselves of all that he has done. You were far off. You weren't born in God. Do you know that? You were born in Adam, the first Adam, into sin. And that only because of the second Adam, Jesus, you've been set free, yeah. Yeah. chosen, adopted, forgiven, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we so often fail to live in this spiritual reality. Yeah. And often because God seems remote, yeah. cut off from us, uninvolved. Yeah. Whose expectations are not important because, well, that's not the reality that we know. But Ephesians is seeking to show us that God is not remote. He is not remote and that he is and forever has been active in our lives. That's what we sang this morning, wasn't it? He never stops working. And the gospel is an expression of the reality and an assault on the reality that we know. Reality is not just this world, but includes God's purpose in this world and the next. This is what often I have to keep reminding myself. What helps me is worshipping, singing eternal truths. Sharing this this truth with others. That's why Paul is so happy. As you tell people, anybody, share this with your children. Don't just talk to them about their education. Don't just talk to them about how they've done at school. Share this truth with them. No matter how old they are. It's important to preach the gospel. Sit down with your kids and explain the eternal truths of God. Tell them they're chosen. Tell them they're adopted. Tell them they're forgiven. List how rich the blessings are. How much you have to inherit. We have an inheritance from a father who is very, 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 very rich. And as we do this, as we tell others, remind others, we find this becoming more and more of a reality in our own souls. We mustn't let this slip. Let us not forget. Let us not be less fervent as we go from generation to generation. You know, there was another letter written to the Ephesian church. It wasn't written by Paul. It was written by Jesus in Revelation 2. 
It challenged them that they had abandoned their first love. Yeah. He was calling them to repent and do the work that they first did. Let's not forget our first love. And be reminded as we read Ephesians, as we study it together in our groups, that it's great that you're here. If you're here to find friends, if you're here to um, find a nice social scene, to have good moral teaching, that's not why God has brought you here. You are here to be part of his people. To be a witness and to love each other so much that it's a witness to the world. Remember Ruben bringing that word? I think it was last week. That, That is one of God's main plans of how we should witness to the world about how we love each other. We're not just here for a service. If you just come in on a Sunday, you listen to the preaching, the worshipping, then you go home. That's not what God's brought you here, to be part of a family, to get to know people. I'm friends with people that I would never be friends with if it wasn't for the church. I don't mean that in a bad way. But I mean multi-generational. There are people that I love to hang out with that probably wouldn't happen if I wasn't in the church. Because God has called us into this kind of multi-dimensional body of people that is your family. This is a family. Do do you get that? We are a family together. And we must not lose fervency. You know there are some wonderful, wonderful saints in this church that have been the bedrock, the, the foundations of the church for over around 40 years. They pray together every Wednesday. I get the pleasure of being part of that. But what about the next generation? Yeah. And actually, it's probably younger than me. And what I would like to do, actually, is for us to pray. We're going to spend some time praying before we break bread and remember what Jesus has done. 